0: Hello, and welcome once again to episode 22 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri, and I'll be your host once again for this episode, and I'm joined today by my fellow completionists, Fernando. Hello. Hi. And Ben. So before we get into our main topic, it's time for our Indie App Spotlight. Fernando? Uh,
1: yeah, thank you, Dimitri. So today we'll be talking about... Uh, a few really amazing apps for those of you that don't know in the app spotlight is a small section in our podcast where we give back to the community specifically in the devs and we promote a little bit of uh, of uh, the amazing talent that we have in the Apple ecosystem and community Uh, first we have print to size uh, by Seb Uh, this is a really interesting app that basically allows you to print your photos exactly to the size um, of the paper that you're trying to print. So no more fiddling with your printer. You basically go to your photos, go to your app, uh, select the size, get a real preview and get it going. Uh, Really, really cool. Uh, The one thing I I wanted to mention about that app is that I saw a few really amazing uh, users posting YouTube videos as to how to use the app. And that to me is the, the maximum level of like a compliment you can get when you're in the app, like when other users like post tutorials, <laughs> that's that's it. You've made it. <laughs> Definitely. Um, uh, the second app that we have uh, in the showcase is called Copies by Martin Pilkington. And it's a really interesting app, which uh, it's basically a place where you can sort your thoughts visually. So you can start writing a note. And if that note uh, branches out into something totally different, you create a new note and then you visually link them. Uh, it's really, really interesting. And um, I'm going to be using it a little bit because uh, I'm trying to uh, get my whole mailing list in order. And there's always articles and uh, blog ideas and things like that. It's a really, really cool uh, concept. And I'm sure it's going to be useful for a lot of people. The last app that we have today on our Indie App Spotlight segment is Tomult Hype. Uh, which is an interesting uh, Mac app where uh, it allows you to uh, design uh, animations based on keyframes. So it's really, really well done. Um, you can create the animations and you can export the animations on, like for HTML5, they work really, really well on mobile. Um, you can extend them using the power of J- JavaScript. So it's really a, a really well done um, application for if you're interested in animations uh, I think this, I really really like this app because it it brings back the, uh, it really shows me that there's people out there who worry about the small details and the design of Mac apps so I really recommend you guys check check any of these apps out and uh, yeah thanks to the developers for uh, for building such amazing apps
0: So are you an indie developer? We want to hear from you. Our list is long at the moment, but please reach out to us on Twitter at CodeCompletion so we can spotlight your app too. So as we record, uh, this is kind of our, uh, more or less the last time that most of us on the podcast will be a formal instructor uh, teaching at a school. Um, So I am joining Fernando and Ben and working on regular old projects once again. Uh, However, unlike uh, Ben and I, Fernando has been jumping back into teaching, but in a slightly different vein. Uh, So do you want to kind of talk a little bit about that process?
1: Uh, Yeah, of course. So uh, as you guys know, I've I've actually said it in the podcast once or twice, I wrote a a book about um, not a framework in and of itself, but uh, understanding how to code, like going into a code base, understanding what the code base is all about, fixing bugs, uh, adding features, things like that, Um, which is a totally different process than what you do when you go into a tutorial, right? A tutorial is about absorbing information. And when you're in a code base, it's all about like having to modify the pieces so that you can put in an intermediate piece or change the size of a piece or things like that. Um, So I started designing a course uh, where I have, I, I found an open source iOS app and I open up issues and add new features to it. Um, well, basically, I, I create the tickets or the stories or what have you um, as atomic entities that have instructions, and I am offering that as a course. So the course is all about um, like cloning the, uh, the repo, and I give you a story that says, hey, you know what? Uh, this isn't getting updated whenever we uh, press this button. Go and fix it. So there's very little guidance when you go into the code base. The amount of guidance and feedback that I give is once you get into the code review section of it. So um, I've been lucky enough to have a few people beta tested and I have current one paying customer. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and um, in all the instances, both beta testing and with the customer, I've seen it that they get value immediately because having someone tell you, no, please don't refactor the whole thing. No, please don't do this in SwiftUI. Uh, Please focus on doing this. Forget about that. And what's really funny is the constant comments that I get from my students are that, oh, my god, this code sucks. Oh, no, can we fix this? Oh, can we fix that? And I think that's a very important lesson that you don't learn until you're at, at work, which is, no, you can't fix that right now. No, you can't refactor the whole thing. No, we can't use SwiftUI right now. So I think it's it's a really interesting um, concept that I'm trying to get um, get out there. And uh, yeah, I don't know. What, what do you guys think about
0: it? It's certainly a very different take because you have to be lucky to join a company that will actually right. provide that feedback to begin with. Like many times there's going to be no code review process. No one's going to be looking at what you add. Uh, And it's going to be far too late once the problems of your uh, big refactor kind of surface up because no one really asked for it and you kind of broke everyone's usage of it other than the one case that you tested, right? Um, And that is often super difficult to kind of narrow down. um, And it's, it's hard to find a team that actually cares enough to mentor you through that process at the same time that you were kind of learning the new code base no matter what level of experience you have like depending on the code base you can have a ton of experience but you have no experience with that code base so uh you're just as as far as step one as anyone else is um so it's it's really exciting to see you kind of experiment with this different way of learning to be a better programmer um especially since it's not something that is really out there one as a product that you're kind of uh, presenting it as but two even after you join, like unless you find a team that's willing to kind of mentor you as a junior and the seniors on those, on that team are willing to put the work in to kind of make sure that you are improving. So that way the team gets better like secret secrets <laughs> uh, that we're kind of sharing here. Uh, you get a better team if you mentor them to be better programmers. Um, but that the fact that that's not available really makes this a, uh, a good thing. Yeah, to have. I think that, um,
2: it's it's interesting. It's interesting that it doesn't exist. Really, that no one has. I'm sure people have probably thought of it, but that interesting that there's like not really a market for it. So like the the question is is the market not there because everyone's just ignoring it or because it's not viable? Or I mean, I mean you're you're figuring all that out, right? So um, I think it's really interesting that that you're that you're trying it, and and I and I certainly hope that there is enough of a market there that you know you can just sort of sustain uh, the, you know, the effort to do it. Um, and I think it's a really interesting and novel way to, to go about furthering learning, right? It's probably not appropriate for someone who doesn't know how to code at all. Right. That's, that's not the, that's not, this is wouldn't be their first step of course. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but fortunately there, that sort of part of the market is very well covered, right? I mean, there's, there's tons of great resources for beginners, Uh, we were having a little sort of like hangout session this afternoon with my team from my job today um, who are mostly Lambda school grads. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to be able to build a team at my company. And, um, and when they were like, who do you want? I was like, well, I I want juniors and I want specifically, you know, people who were my students. I think that's, that's going to be the best sort of path to success for us. And they were like, cool, let's do it. And so what's what's been really great is I've been able to build a team that is uh, made up of mostly of my former, um, students from Lambda school. Um, and we were talking about kind of how you start and how you get, how you get further and stuff like that. And, and, you know, I was saying that it's, um, it's really, really comparatively easy to write content as an educator when you're starting from zero. Right. And I think that's probably why it is the most popular content available. Um, right yeah. but it's actually yeah. so mm-hmm. it's it's uh as a as a learner as a student it's often very frustrating to you know you, you do that tutorial basically over and over again by different people and you're like okay i got this i understand how that works like take me to the next step right what is what is the next step for for going a little further building a slightly larger app or or even if you're a, a mid or a senior right i mean i'm i'm sure that i have all kinds of like bad habits and i've got and there's probably improvements to architecture that I could make in the way that I design and build uh, iOS apps. And a lot of times that knowledge is pretty locked up in, you know, a fairly small group of people. Um, you know, the, the most senior people, like large companies and stuff like that are the ones that kind of hold all those cards. And and they're not really typically very easily shared. Um, so I think it's really cool that they that that you're trying this and i I hope that it works because not only will i think it potentially help you know people who are like i got a little bit but i need i need help in sort of getting to the next level but also maybe you could you know if this if this goes well and you expand a little bit more you might even end up in a scenario where you're like i'm going to take i'm going to bring on some basically senior level engineers to help them level up as well right help them understand sort of more of like the architecture role right like that's interesting
1: yeah that's an interesting what, idea, what you've sure. got
2: really doesn't depend on or it's sort of the model that you've built right doesn't really the input of the person where they are today isn't as important because you can create sort of a you know a playground uh i don't mean like Xcode playground i mean like just a playground in the general sense uh to mm-hmm. for them to sort of you know play and to, and to, and to practice and stuff like that. Um, And you can then sort of coordinate that thing to solve whatever problem they're trying to solve in their educational journey. Right. Um, And so that could even include, because that's something that I feel like, you know, as a, as a group of people that we, that we suffer from is oftentimes we will get to senior level developer. Right. And then that's kind of it. Like there's oftentimes not really anywhere else to go. um, And depending on, you know, what kind of company, what size company you work at or whatever. But I do feel like there is definitely more room to grow within there, right? To sort of, I'm going to take on, basically, you know, working with the, the end developers and the front end developers and the web and, and the iOS app and maybe the Android app and stuff, right? Like that's, I mean, I'm basically describing my job and my current, my current company, which I'm director of mobile <laughs> engineering. So, so my job is, it was initially when I first got hired because I was the only mobile team member was to, literally sit down and open Xcode and, and write all of the code that we were going to use right for the app. And, and I still do that, but a little bit less so recently. Um, And that's in part because I've kind of hired a team and I've also sort of stepped into a position where my job now, like I spent a decent amount of time today in a, an entity relationship diagram modeling tool building the database schema for the mobile mm. apps. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So like, that's still a job that needs to be done. And if you're a one person team, you just do everything. Right. But like in this situation, I do that. And then I, and then I explain what I've done to the back end people. And I explain what I've done to my mobile team. And like, we talk about it and I make changes and you know, like it's, it's a different role, but it's still very technical. Um, and I feel like there is that kind of thing, right? Like that is a thing that people could, if they get bored or they get sort of, they feel like glass ceilinged, right? They feel like they're stuck in this in this spot where they can't really go any further um, up the corporate ladder. To mix a bunch of metaphors together, um, <laughs> they,
1: you know, <laughs> but no, I think your idea is really interesting because the person I was sort of aiming for is uh, myself from the past. And and I've seen these on uh, like from several students where you join a company where they mm-hmm. either bait and switch it where it's like oh of course you're you'll get someone <laughs> uh-huh. to mentor you throughout the uh, blah blah and then you join and they're yeah. like well you're the only iOS guy yeah. and you're like uh li- yeah. it, it's literally happened a few times mm-hmm. in the past few months where students of mine have come to me and be like yeah. but what do I do and get I a just, new job I, is what you do You just, just work <laughs> at it yeah, well yeah. <laughs> So, and that's really funny, but but it's like, it's exactly what you're saying when you're a senior, where sometimes it's like you get to a point where you're like, I'm pretty good at what I do. Like, I can still right. like, learn by myself, but still like things like you just, uh, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, like yeah. giving a good code review. Like, that's not something you learn right. um, until you keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And people tell you, wow, right. you're a really good reviewer or wow, this guy, I hope right. he doesn't review my code. And mm-hmm. setting up a scenario yeah. like that would be really interesting where you present someone with the mm-hmm. code from a junior and you're like, yeah. okay, go and teaching some Teaching it.
2: people how to be good uh-huh. mentors, right? Teaching people how to communicate effectively cross function mm-hmm. so that, you know, if you're going to, if you need to convince the backend team to do something a particular way to make it so the mobile team doesn't have a, sort of a nightmare on their hands. That's a skill, too, that you don't, you're not going to learn by sitting by yourself coding away, right, with your headphones on. Like, it's a skill that you need to learn either through, you know, practice because you're forced to or practice because maybe you choose to, right? Maybe you choose to take a, a course with Fernando where you learn how to do that, right? So I think what's really cool about your model is that it it really kind of, it really would work kind of for all, you know, all ages welcome, right? Like at every skill level of developer probably could benefit from your from your pedagogical design, right? Because the because the the uh, the subject matter is is fairly fluid in what you could present in this kind of scenario, um, and and I think I think it's it's a you know if you look at kind of the state of the programming world. So we could certainly use people who are better mentors, people who were better at at cross functional communication, yeah. people who were better at pr- promoting the um the ideas of others right like those are those are all kind of the things that we get that as a community uh we get sort of blasted on regularly on social media for being a bunch of broy like kind of just jerks right yeah,
1: and it's true. Like we get mm-hmm, laugh yeah. on social media because it's true the community is Yeah. So I think I think like there's that. a
2: really cool sort of angle here where where not only can not only can you sort of educate to to educate, right, but you can also uh you know infuse infuse better ethics into into our community, which is something mm-hmm. that I've become yeah. kind of more yeah. um more aware of recently and like Aware of, yeah. you know in obviously i can't fix everything myself right um and i and it would be silly to put that burden it's silly to put that burden on any particular person so please don't anybody in the audience don't ever feel like yeah it kind of sucks sometimes but like y- do what you can and then sort of be happy with the progress that you're making yourself and that you're encouraging others but don't feel yeah. like you have to fix the entire Thing. I've seen so many, I've seen so many, unfortunately, I've seen so many people on Twitter recently, uh, particularly like, you know, women in our community and stuff who just sort of lament, yeah. right? Like how, how bad it is, or they, they're, they or gave, gave up, up or they're about to give up or right. And, yeah. and, um, you know, I really hope they don't, uh, give up because I think p- people of all different stripes need to be, need to be here. And, and you can't, you can't fix everything yourself and you have to just sort of do what you can and and call people out when they're being yeah. jerks and just kind of you know i don't know i didn't mean for this to turn into a soapbox but like <laughs> uh, but <laughs> no but you can do like it's it's the whole
1: uh, i just uh-huh. saw a tweet by dhh saying that they changed uh the uh the main branch mm-hmm. in ruby from master to main and uh my comment on that was that it's very few times it's right. about solving the problem. A lot of the time, it's just about making it a little bit easier right. to overcome the problem. Yeah, and right. that, making like, people the, feel welcome. Yeah, changing from master to Main solving it, was it? Will it solve all uh, like the racism right. problem that we have in tech? No, by right. like not by long shot. Will it make it easier? Like, will is is it one right. small step in the right, right. direction? yeah it is and, it, so and in fact that
2: particular like that. usage of um, language I, wasn't really intended it wasn't a master slave thing it was really the person who invented that said that they were using the idea of like a master recording like sort of the the progenitor recording right oh, the thing sense. that is mm-hmm. the, the originator of everything else um but like who cares right like it's 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 not it is not a big it, it takes literally two seconds to do that to change that that uh that name in that branch so whether whether it is. Something that is, um, you know, whether it was like from a language point of view, the correct or the, the, you know, the thing people thought it was or not, it doesn't, who cares? It's, it's an easy change. um, And, and it, and it makes it feel more inclusive. So like, why not? Right.
0: And if that, if that kind of change, like if you find that that bothers you that's a good point to kind of slow down and to think about yeah. why that's bothering you in the first place, because it really shouldn't. Right. It's, it's something so inoffensive to right. kind of change a word like that, um, that if it is something that that causes you to like have a knee-jerk reaction, really stop to think about why that's causing that, because there's probably a different way you can go about thinking about it to be just a better, a better yeah. member of the community. Um, now, if you do want to, hear a whole lot more about ethics and you're just joining uh this podcast with this episode <laughs> do listen to episodes ago get go because we did uh have a large discussion on ethics nice. uh in technology so uh, we elaborated a ton on that going back to uh the topic um something something that i think uh is very important with what fernando is kind of bringing to the table here is are these yeah. contrived examples right um putting the work into kind of coming up yeah. with an example that is realistic that you are going to come across, but like if you don't put the effort in, you're never going to quite overcome. Mm-hmm. So one one example of that uh, that I ran into a ton when I was t- still teaching um, are merge conflicts. Merge conflicts mm-hmm. are hard to kind of instigate on your own because they, they either come up and whenever they come up, they're really nasty um, and it's hard to kind of have something... Um, it's, it's hard to have, have an example where you will reliably come up against the same exact conflict. That's going to cause a conflict in the storyboard at this point and know how to fix it. And even if you solve that one, you didn't solve all the rest of the kind of merge conflicts that you can kind of run into. Um, so kind of finding where, where these examples can kind of come up, that's, that's the gold of this. And that's really hard. So. That Fernando is kind of taking up the mantle of finding uh, areas that we can improve as developers, whether we are seniors, whether we are juniors, um, I think is really important. Because ultimately, you have to be willing to learn and to improve yourself, no matter what level you are. Um, It's so easy to come to the table saying, hey, I have 20 years of experience. I know what's best. But you don't realize why you know best. And you might might know the wrong thing. Like... This is kind of a tangent, but uh, earlier today, we were all talking about uh, the etymology of a word, and I thought I knew it in one particular way, but I wasn't sure of myself, so I looked it up, and it turns out that none of the references that I could find mm. thought of it the same way that I did. So like that is an excellent opportunity to kind of rethink and reevaluate what you know, because generally speaking, you you tend to collect these nuggets of information, and mm-hmm. you think they are absolute, but they might not be. Just like we assumed master the master branch comes from the master-slave kind of uh, right. like naming that we use in databases and things like that, which comes from a much right. more horrible past of uh, naming things. So just because that etymology is not there, it's important to kind of learn how we got to somewhere. Like we shouldn't just push master under the rug and never talk about it again and just have main everywhere. That's just erasing right. the the problem. And then we don't yeah. realize what the problem was. Um, but it's, it's kind of, it's important to learn the history of all these things and to realize that everything has its flaws, but that's not a deal breaker. Things can be improved as long as you realize like Mm -hmm. what those shortcomings were. Uh, and that goes for your own knowledge as well. Like you need to be open to learning new things. Um, and then no matter what level of experience you are at, you can go ahead and, and really improve dramatically. So having something that's at all levels is great.
1: I agree 100. percent I think that's actually a a good segue to something that that I learned while building this course, which is, uh, for the longest time, and I still hold that view, but but not so strongly. Um, I was against like third party libraries. Like we we've, we've all discussed this at length. Maybe we should do an episode on CocoaPods uh, <laughs> to get all Burn the Burn them down. Out. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No. Exactly. That's what <laughs> a little <I'm> like <laughs> therapy session just uh, to get it all out. But it's right? like.
2: <laughs> it,
1: yeah, exactly. So <laughs> for the longest time, I've been against it because it's in general good practice in our eco- ecosystem to just stay as close to the first party as possible because mm-hmm. things change constantly, like Apple up- upgrades every year. Um, and for the longest time, I sort of didn't realize that we have a lot of open source code. Like you can, when you think of open source code, you think like, oh, well, mm-hmm. Alamo Fire or message kit or like a few Mm -hmm. select libraries that you may use um and while looking for for projects for this course i found out that there's like a ton of apps out there that are mit licensed and i find that so so cool and it goes to dimitri's point that for the longest time i was like ios is not an ecosystem that deals with open source you go to javascript and there's um what is it, NPM? Mm-hmm. And then you get libraries for <laughs> yeah. adding to numbers that someone yeah. found useful because I don't know why, but it's out there. And with iOS, it's like, yeah. no, I got to stay in the frameworks, which in general, it's good. But wow, did this open my eyes? Like there's a right, lot of open right. source code out there. Oh, <laughs> not in Objective-C. I've been very hard pressed. I wanted so badly to make the course I, like, have, t- uh-huh. like, a small Objective-C section, and I just couldn't do it. There's, like, the only Objective-C code that I could find was, like, for jailbroken <laughs> apps and things like that. So I'm like, oh, I can't. Uh, it sucks. I may need to, to contribute to the Objective-C open source I can open source some
2: of my old Objective-C apps. They're that's not any good, it. but. <laughs> hey. Right?
1: It, uh, I found out today that the
2: Kickstarter <laughs> iOS and Android apps are both open sourced. You can go find them on GitHub. The full the full source code for that, which I thought was really kind of cool, because it's a it's a pretty high profile. Cool. App. Yeah, Wikipedia. I think right? Wikipedia too. Yeah. There's some high profile apps that you'd think you're like, no, there's no way. And Wikipedia kind of makes sense because they're a nonprofit. But like K- Kickstarter, there's not really any. <laughs> I don't see any particular need for that to be open sourced. Um, but I think it's really really cool that it is because it's definitely um you know it's not a super complicated app but i bet you there there are more views and more there's more involved in that architecture than you probably would maybe think at you know first glance so i think that's really cool that, that stuff like that is available um open source because like i said unless you work at some unless you work at facebook airbnb right some one of these companies that has a has a, a very high, pro, high profile ios app and that is and that the app itself is extremely large right i mean supposedly Facebook has hundreds of engineers that just work on the iOS portion of their company's software, um, which is bonkers, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, um, That unless you are part of that team, you're just never gonna be exposed to things that are that complex. Um, So I think it's really cool when companies, Mm -hmm. even if they don't necessarily open source their entire app, I mean, Airbnb has open sourced a whole bunch of stuff that they have used, I think uber has done some uh, lyft has done there's a they have a pretty good sized library of of things even facebook has um you know has open sourced quite a few things so it's pretty cool that that uh that you can you can go in there and you can see not not just theorize right how maybe would this work, but like you can actually see how it really yep. does work
0: It is important to realize though that there is a difference between. Learning from open source code that's out yeah. there and directly relying on it within your own apps, um, like as a learning resource, open source is a goldmine. Mm-hmm. You can learn so much, right. both in good code and in bad code, yeah. about yeah. like how to go ahead and improve. Like what you're doing, Fernando, you're finding code that has problems that can be improved. I'm not saying it's the worst code in the world, but every piece of code, there's no right. no such thing as perfect code. Like the same code can be rewritten in so many different ways. Um, Ultimately, it's how readable and understandable it is that is the most important nowadays with our supercomputers uh, running on batteries, right? Um, So, like, the more apps that, especially if they don't have proprietary IP, like, Kickstarter does not, like, their business does not fall entirely on their iOS app. Their iOS app is a convenience Mm -hmm. for their main business. so. That being open source, there's nothing wrong with it. No, they would not be hurt if someone made a slightly different Kickstarter app based 90% on their code. There's no issue there for the most part. Um, So if you are in in a similar position um, as a company making an iOS app, do consider open sourcing it because you're going to learn from other people commenting on your own code. Like there's nothing better in a way uh, to kind of find problems than to kind of let someone else loose on it. That said... At the same time, you need to be very careful because a lot of companies, they will open source code when they no longer need it, which means it's not going to be actively maintained. It's not something (laughs) that you should go ahead and completely rely on. Be prepared. If you're going to ingest open source code into your own app, understand what it's doing. Don't blindly take code that you have no clue what it's doing uh, because it's too complicated to do something that your app absolutely relies on because that's going to come around and bite you especially when it breaks because you're going to have to fix it and you're not going to have the timeline to be able to really understand everything at that point agreed so i, I just I, like i know we've had a, a a troubled commentary in the past from almost all of us our students would probably uh, echo this as well that we've all kind of publicly said that we are kind of against coco pods and Carthage and open source and things like that. Like you shouldn't go ahead and rely on that. Um, And it's hard to give the nuance because there's so many reasons why, but there's also so many reasons why you should embrace it as well and really learn from it. Um, That I agree with Fernando, like if we did have, like we should probably have an episode about why you should and why you shouldn't um, go ahead and introduce foreign code into your projects and how to do it in the best way possible because that's a big topic and there's a ton of nuance there that, like, as a senior developer, we would just say no. Like, that's a simple answer, right? When when you don't have any other piece of information as to why you should allow it, like, no, there's no point for doing this. Let's just move on. Um, but there are plenty of yeses. However, it requires that I to know when it's a yes yep. and when it's a no. And not every senior developer knows okay. what okay. that is. They just have the eye for it, Right. They can't. They can't tell you. They can't explain how how they speak English. Right. They can just speak English, right? We're we're all under that boat. We're all experts at speaking English, but like, oh, yeah. how many of us can explain it? Well, it's like that whole the,
2: right? the whole like explicit you know uh, crackdown of things like explicit lyrics and and like pornography and stuff in the eighties, right? That there was that famous. I don't know who it was, but somebody said like you know. I I will recognize this objectionable content when I see it. Like, I can't define it for you, but you can show it to me and I will tell you whether it is or is not objectionable, right? And it's like, it's kind of like that where, where sometimes it's a little bit harder to, to quantify, right? Why it might be good or not, but you're like, "Eh, no, like this is not, this isn't good enough. Right. And I feel the way, the way that I've been handling it on my team is basically the answer is no, (laughs) Right? Like if, if you're gonna ask me, can we include this library in the app, I'm gonna say no. Um, but then it's a soft no, right? It's not a it's not a hard no, never don't even don't even ask me, right? It's like me bring like it to that. me and show it to me mm-hmm. and I and we'll look at it, we'll talk about it, why why you think we need it, uh, what it's what problem it solves for us, how it might be faster than doing something ourselves, whatever, right? Give me the argument, right, why this is something that you'd wanna do, and then we can decide. And and we have uh, we have actually um, included a pretty good size one uh, in in our app. We're using SwiftUI um, in this new app. We're using Combine, and we're also using a thing called the Composable Architecture, which is um, a a whole kind of methodology for uh, for building stuff. It's basically Redux. If if for the people in the audience, if you know anything about Redux, which is uh, a state management system for React web applications. Um, this is Redux sort of rewritten in the to sort of work with Combine and Swift UI. Um, it's all, of course, written in Swift. Um, and uh, it allows you to to have sort of basically a finite state right in your in your application and manage your state um, effectively. But it's a decent sized library, and it has two dependencies. They're all Swift packages, which is nice, no, no CocoaPods, because that's basically a flat no. Like, if you're going to ask me for a CocoaPod, I'm very likely going to tell you no, not only because there's the issue of the third-party dependency, but also because CocoaPods itself then inserts itself into the build system and you know kind of becomes an issue. Yeah, right. that's a so that all by itself, right? you haven't even had any package yep. yet, it's already dependency. Even so and anyway, itself. Yep. Uh, but that, that's kind of the stance I've taken, which is like, it's a no, but it's a soft no, right? So like, br- bring it to me and, and give me your argument, and then we can talk about it and see whether it's worth it. And I think that's probably the right approach rather than than a hard no, right? Um, because like you said, right, Dimitri, there's lots of great software out there and and there's no need to reinvent the wheel. On the other hand, you have that scenario from a couple of years ago where I don't know what the thing did. It was like a two-line library buried in JavaScript somewhere. There was like a node dependency that did some kind of padding for strings and the developer... Yeah, and literally <laughs> and everyone, everyone depended, depended on, it. on it. And the guy everyone. that originally wrote it got ticked off for some reason and yanked it from the like public sphere and it broke <laughs> half the internet because of a two-line thing. And it was like yeah. that is an example of third-party dependencies run amuck, right? And and like and and that is not a, that is not what we want to strive for, right? But but I think it's also unfair mm-hmm. to kind of go too far in the other direction and say like no, never no dependencies ever allowed because then you end up in a scenario where you're writing everything from scratch, right? You have that, the the famous not invented here problem, which if, for those of you that don't know, what that means is like the tendency of particularly senior level developers to um, reject anything that they didn't write as not good enough, um, not invented here, right? It wasn't invented by me. <laughs> so it's not any good. And the only way it's going to get included in the, in the pack, in the sort of the delivery is if, it's, if we wrote it. Um, and I feel like, that is just, that is too dogmatic a, a, a position to take, right? Because for one thing, we are standing on the shoulders of giants, right? We're, we're already utilizing tons of software that we didn't write. Um, so it seems silly to then say, well, it's okay if Apple provides that software, but nobody else is smart enough or or, or good enough to provide software for our package. Like that's nonsense. Um, but you know, I, it's, Like you said, I just spent five minutes explaining this and I feel like I still haven't done a very good job. Like it's, it's, it is, it's a weird and very nuanced problem. And I feel like that's part of what's difficult about explaining this, particularly to juniors, is that they just, they don't understand the nuance, right? And they, and they don't get, probably because they haven't been burned enough. They don't understand why, why not? Why can't I just include this in the thing? It'll be great. It's like, well, yeah, but it could be like, it could be a nightmare, right? It could, it could easily turn into, into a support nightmare, um, or just tons of tech tech like the so all this time we've
0: been doing them a disservice by telling them no right they should have been doing it and learning <laughs> yeah, from I... that problem right because no, then cause every then problem that comes problem. up it's like oh well this is this is something sure. that you have yeah. to keep account if you want to use third party and every at every turn there's a new problem at a certain point like we've all experienced yeah. that and that's why we say no like we don't want right. to go through that ever again uh, so we kind of I also feel like draw depending the line on at that the point. educational but, environment,
2: right? Like at Lambda School, we didn't really have time mm-hmm. to let them go crazy with a million third party libraries that that all break and yeah, they have to there's no time at them. all. Whereas I feel like Fernando's design is set up in a way where, you know, you could I mean you probably wouldn't want to like be like, Okay, pool's open, you can do whatever you want and I'll help you fix it. But <laughs> but but you certainly have a lot more room, I think, to uh, to to play around with those ideas and, and let them fail more than maybe we had time for in a more structured environment. Um, and so you have more opportunity to like. Absolutely. To, to, to we, let them, we've discussed give this them before. More, like for lack of a better term, like give them more leash, right? To like let them venture off more on their own. But still knowing yeah. that like, it's okay if you make a mistake, I'll, you know, I'll help you. I'll, I'll, I'll help you fix it.
1: We've, yeah, I agree. We've discussed this before, like in our private chats, uh, but I'm totally like the concept of the course in the end is t- for you to improve yeah. in whatever right. way you need to improve. Like if you need to improve in the sense that I tell you, go and change this label and you rewrite the whole app, like that's yeah, what yeah, you yeah, need yeah. to improve. Right. Because right. it happens all the time and I'm prepared. I mean, right. Like, again, I only have one person, but I'm totally prepared To to getting someone going in a few stories and then them just Mm -hmm. blowing up the app, and that's your lesson. That's why you're here. It's not about like me teaching you delegation or me teaching you whatever. It's for you to do that and for me to say, uh, "You messed up. You're fired." And then you're not fired, but you remember next time you want to do that, and you're
2: like, "Oh no!" It's the Zen school of programming. I love it. So.
0: Whatever you screwed up on, that's your lesson. <laughs> and, and you you can take it in,
2: yeah. You exactly. Can take it
0: in, you can take it in two points of view, right? You can be offended right. by Fernando's right. comments right. and not mm-hmm. learn anything, or mm-hmm. you can start. You can stop to think about why mm-hmm. Fernando's telling you to do that change. Like, there's a reason for it, and if you don't realize that reason, yeah, that's when you need to stop and think right. about it or ask. Like, mm-hmm. there's a million ways to go about right. this without like getting mad. Um, but it's so easy when someone like. Criticizes your code. They're not criticizing you. Right. They're criticizing what you wrote right. because it's not good enough. Like there's a reason why they criticized it, and maybe it's a reason because you didn't explain it. Like maybe your code is top notch, perfect, but you have put zero comments in there, or you mm-hmm. misnamed your variables. Yeah, that's not gonna be helpful enough. Like y- the whole point is for others to yeah. understand it, not for the computer to understand it. Right. That's what a compiler's for. Right. And you can we write solve that problem. Hideous already, code. Right? That the code that is for other the humans. Spine, right. Like. So it's not about the computer, it's about yeah. the humans. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. So Fernando, where can people learn more and where can they try out this?
1: Course? Uh I will leave a link somewhere in our <laughs> In the
2: show notes, we're going to tweet notes. about it. We're gonna, we'll, we'll let you all know. Just just follow us, just follow Code Completion and we'll, we'll give you all the the details.
1: I think that's the perfect uh perfect solution. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Ben. <laughs>
0: Thank you Dimitri for asking. Sounds good. Any last comments? Go
1: yeah. and buy the course, please. Yeah, more, need more than one. He
0: needs many
2: more than one <laughs> one student.
1: Yes, more than one would be amazing. Two would double my income from the course. So please go ahead and do that.
0: Wonderful. So on the topic of teaching and learning, this week's episode is once again brought to you by Bon Voyage, a new full-stack iOS app application development course from Johnny B. With this course, you'll learn how to build both a full iOS client app and associated React web application uh, to administer it. The app and the site will integrate with Firebase, as well as Stripe and Play for payment processing. Bon Voyage is a place to book extravagant vacations where you'll gain the skills to build the iOS app from the ground up and integrate everything you need to provide a world-class vacation booking experience. To find out more and sign up for the course, visit bon Voyage app, bonvoyage.app slash course. That's B-O-N-V-O-Y-A-G-E dot app slash course. And be sure to follow Bon Voyage's instructor at Johnny B Codes. That's J-O-N-N-Y B-C-O-D-E-S on Twitter to stay up to date with all his courses. Thanks again to Bon Voyage e-commerce app course for sponsoring Code Completion. So with all that out of the way, it's time for Compiler Error, a segment where I get to test my fellow completionist knowledge about Swift, Apple, and all things development. Today, my four statements have a theme, and they are all about Firewire.
2: I'm going to make a prediction that I'm going to get this totally wrong.
1: (laughs) Oh, I'm going to kill it. And by kill it, (laughs) I mean it's going to kill me. So...
0: So uh, let's put both of you under the fire and talk about FireWire. So we have four statements for you today, uh, and let's go through them. So number one, FireWire comes in three protocol flavors, FireWire 400 over a 4-pin connector, FireWire 600 over a 6-pin connector, and FireWire 800 over a 9-pin connector. Statement number two, the technology behind FireWire, known as IEE-1394, was not only used in consumer electronics, but also automobiles, military vehicles, and even satellites. Statement number three. So FireWire was expected to reach speeds up to 6.4 gigabits per second over single-mode fiber, but development was largely halted after 2010 and fully withdrawn in 2013. And statement number four. Unlike USB, where there is a single host to the topology of networks, topology of network-connected devices, Firewire implements a pure peer-to-peer network, allowing for multiple hosts and devices to share the same bus for communication. So, Ben, since it's been a while <laughs> since you joined the show, Great. and since you had so much confidence, super excited uh, let's to go have first. you go first. Uh, so, let's see. Number one
2: sounds reasonable. I, the whole 800-but-9-pin thing is strange, but also it seems totally plausible considering that oftentimes these these uh, like um, protocol definitions are often a little nonsensical so I, I could I could believe that. Um, I'm just going to assume that that's correct and move on. Uh, I do feel like it is IEEE 1394. That sounds familiar but that's just based on like no actual knowledge. Just like a gut feeling. Um, and uh, consumer electronics is definitely true. Automobiles like automobiles have firewire connections maybe um, military if automobiles then why not military vehicles satellites also feel like that could that could be true uh, so th- that all seems plausible again we'll go with we'll go with true for now um, number 3 the max speed and then the whole you know it, it shut it kind of shut down there towards the beginning of the 2010s uh, i also feel like that's probably at least the the timeline sounds true because it se- you know that firewire definitely uh, seemed very promising for a long time and then just didn't get adopted as much as maybe it should have uh, and then just sort of fizzled out and, and in favor of other things, you know, faster USB and then uh, like Thunderbolt and stuff like that. So uh, seems reasonable. And then the whole USB being single host versus FireWire being a peer-to-peer network. Um, I, I never really bothered to pay too much attention as to why FireWire was arguably better than USB, uh, I feel like this different style of of uh, of communication could be one of those pluses. Um, so, unfortunately, all four of these seem very plausible to me. <laughs> knowing very little about FireWire itself, um, I'm gonna go with <sighs> it's either something up. Ob- well, it's always right something obvious or some tiny little technicality that he's that he's thrown in here to throw us off. Um, no, he would but never no, do that, right? Would, never. Never. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say that... I, I'm just going to go crazy. I'm just going to say number three is the compiler error, and that it is because the dates are probably slightly different than what they really are. And that's just a that's a shot in the dark. I, <laughs> I have no confidence in that answer,
0: but that's what I'm going with. Good luck, Fernando. <laughs> okay, Fernando Fernando, will you use that knowledge to help you? Will you use it to step away from the answer? I'm <laughs> leaving. Up
1: to you. Bye, guys. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not a 9-pin connector. It's a 9.3-pin connector. And Those Dimitri... <laughs> 0.3 of copper
0: is very yes, of uh, is very significant.
1: <laughs> uh, this is difficult. Um... I can see number two being being correct, so I'm gonna ignore that one. I think number three may be correct. Ah, time time has time is difficult to measure because 2010 seems like so close regarding FireWire, but so long ago. Like it's it's the (laughs) quantum state of. Technology, yeah. where it's like I don't think there was a Mac in 2010 that had FireWire, but I also don't know. I don't know. Um, the The fourth one sounds like a lot of mumbo jumbo, so I will say that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> I think mm-hmm. it's number one because I just cannot, for the life of me, remember FireWire. Yeah, that 600. did sound a little fishy. I remember Fireware 400. Yeah. I remember, remember 800. I remember it specifically because last year I was trying to find... I don't know what I had. I had a device here that was using Fireware. And I was trying to find like a Fireware to Thunderbolt 3. And I figured if I bought like a Thunderbolt 3 to 2 and then a 2 to 1 and then a 1 to Fireware, I could make it work. But apparently you need like a, an energy source or something. And I, it never worked. So I'm going to go with number 1.
2: I'm going to change my answer to number number one one. because I Mm -hmm. agree that six. Oh, you cannot change your answer. Yes. (laughs) But you're right. It sounds very fishy, right? The 600 thing sounds fishy. I don't. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. That's that's the downside of going first, right? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, to help with this, when do you think uh, Apple stopped using FireWire? Or put another way, when did they start using so, Thunderbolt? T-
2: so, 2012, I had a laptop that I am fairly certain did not have Thunderbolt, um, which means that I don't think there was any time where like Firewire was gone and Thunderbolt didn't exist yet, so I think it was kind of a switch. Like They got rid of Firewire in favor of Thunderbolt instead, So and I'm almost positive that that laptop did did not have thunderbolt which means it very likely had a a firewire connection that i never used so when did they make like a big change between that model macbook pro and like the next one i want to say it was 20 i think the
0: 2015s even had firewire right because they were prior to to the touch bar ones so, so 2012 was the first time that Thunderbolt kind of was used via the DisplayPort thing right. because the chassis got so small. That was the first. Uh,
1: that makes unibody sense.
0: a Retina right. laptop. So the chassis was got say, really small. So Thunderbolt was like the only of Thunderbolt thing. 3, which I was going to say there. the first gen. It wasn't the only that thing. The Ethernet. Yeah, yeah. 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 The thick one. So that was all in around 2001, 2000, uh, okay. 2011, 2012. 12, I agree. Now, when do you think Firewire started being developed?
2: Started being developed? going to the number four a
0: little. Uh, yeah.
1: I've been muted. 94.
0: 86. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, so Firewire FireWire is, is quite old. Um, now, it didn't make it into a Macintosh until like 99, I think. Um, so there was some, uh, some lead time there, but, uh, it is a fairly old technology. Um, so let's start with number four, since that you both agree on that one. Now USB, it was a relatively newer technology, but if we all remember USB one, it was not fast, right? So the key piece to Firewire was the fact that it was really, really fast. It was starting off at 400 megabits per second. Like that was the speeds that you could realistically attain over the initial version of the protocol. Um, and I think there were like different, uh, variants that you could have hundred, 200, 400. Um, but it was all part of that same protocol. Like you can just negotiate different speeds based on what you needed. Um, so firewire was way, way faster than USB, even in the very early days. Um, and the second thing was that FireWare was more expensive because you had to have a dedicated mm. chip to handle the connection that did mm. not even communicate with the CPU. So the CPU was like had a very hands-off approach uh, and it can just buffer data to the FireWare bus and then the FireWire bus would take care of the rest um, communicating uh, back and forth, which makes sense when you have a communication standard that's at 400 megabits on most computers or right. not. So that that kind of allowed multiple devices to kind of communicate with each other you can have multiple hosts not just one or two but Mm. several on the same topology you can have multiple devices on that same topology you can use it for networking so number four is true but that goes to number two as well being true because it's that technology that topology map that was actually used Mm. in all sorts of different uh, scenarios, including satellites. So, once you have mm-hmm. a multiple peer-to-peer system, how do you go ahead and reliably communicate between them while it used the same protocol and same hmm. communication standard? That IEEE thirteen ninety four, which was born as FireWire by Apple. Um, that that's where that all came uh, came together. So now uh, that leaves our two others. So, so let's start with FireWire ben, was an Apple invented first,
2: technology, or- but didn't show up in their computers until
0: 1999. They some su- yeah. So they started uh, developing it as mm. a replacement for SCSI, I think. Um, right. As like an improvement to that, um, and it wasn't until 1999 that they really kind of solidified it okay. as like a product to sell. But they submitted it much earlier mm. to the IEEE, which international... stands for International. I'm I'm going to guess no, European it's the electronic something, something something of no, electrical engineering in <laughs> the
2: last two E's. Yeah.
1: Also, yeah, so, this was this was a jobless Apple, so no surprise <laughs> yeah. it took thirteen years to ship.
0: Fair enough. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so that was absolutely used um, everywhere. So now, uh, FireWire was continued to be developed after Apple kind of stopped using it, um, and this was after FireWire eight hundred. Uh, There were a few other variants, uh, Fireware 1600 and 3200, uh, that uh, went and really pushed the limits as far as what it could achieve on the same cable. Um, And there were talks to bring it over single-mode fiber. So single-mode fiber Mm -hmm. is a really thick fiber cable where you have one strand Mm -hmm. rather than multiple strands. That's multi-mode fiber. So you have one strand uh, of fiber, and they were going to push 6.4 gigabits, which seems like a lot at the time until you remember thunderbolt one uh had 10 uh and kind of pushed everything out of the competition uh even to this day like thunderbolt 4 can push 80 gigabits per second which is quite phenomenal over copper um so firewire had its time uh it kind of suffers from the same problems that thunderbolt suffered from where you have really expensive controller chips on every device to kind of Uh, communicate everything, and that's why USB was just cheaper. You just have one single chip um, to kind of communicate that. So, uh, number three is unfortunately not the compiler error. Sorry, uh, Ben, which is kind of why I (laughs) prevented you from switching (laughs) right at that moment. Uh, Because, Fernando, you you did get it right. Uh, There is no FireWire 600. So, there is a six-pin connector, and that was the traditional FireWire connector. Um, And there was a four-pin connector, um, which was used for like smaller devices it's kind of like the USB B type plug uh, that you'd plug into your camcorder or whatnot um, and they were both capable of firewire 400 speeds so just depending on how you wanted to use the connection um, and firewire 400 was that initial uh flavor um of firewire that was available later there was firewire 800 which gave you 800 megabits um over a nine pin connector and as i said there were more flavors than just those two plus the one fictional one uh being the 16 and the 3200 so yeah there was never a FireWire 600 even though most people kind of got confused because there's a six pin connector and a nine pin connector that they assumed was the eight um and then there was a four pin connector which people assumed must have been older and slower even though it was the same kind of technology uh that was being used so great job fernando i just need to change one vote and i could totally win Um, you
2: know it's fine
1: I will be we magnanimous are... in, in my victory. <laughs> this is a time to heal then. I invoke unity in the Code uh, Completion podcast. And to,
2: and to prevent further writing of our podcast, <laughs> I will jump in and say that for all of our engineer friends who are, who are watching or are listening and are watching, uh, the IEEE is the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers. So just so we get that right. Ah, Real-time nice. time follow-up.
0: No. Yeah, we are not part of that institute. <laughs>
2: <laughs> or
1: are we no i don't know we're not
0: <laughs> okay so as always i want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week be sure to follow us on twitter at code completion to know when new episodes get released and feel free to tweet at us if there's a specific topic you'd like for us to dig into more importantly as a small podcast please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are interested in any part of the process of app development it's your support that enables us to continue doing this and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss so once again, I want to give my thanks to uh Ben, who is at Ferris Guy on Twitter, and Fernando, who is at From Junior to Senior on Twitter. And my name once again is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Bugnol, and we'll see you Bye. all next week. Bye.
1: Bye.